0: Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro. And as of the day before this recording, rank number one, hats on lamps. It's episode 40. For those of you who tune in, who are tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft weeks went, some Patreon announcements, card of the week, seven-win-run breakdown, our main topic, which is our takes on the new format, because there's been a lot of changes recently, and then we're going to talk about our top commons and uncommons in the new draft packs, because they are now your pack one pick ones. Let's begin. Hats, how was your week?
1: Uh, it was okay. Uh, it's, it's been going pretty well. We were a few days into the month before the changes uh, in the draft format took place, and i uh kind of played obsessively and battled my way to the very top of the ranking so i was rank one for a while uh, i'm still rank two now so it's in contention and um i'm somehow managing to do that without really feeling like i know exactly what i'm doing there's a lot that there's a lot to still figure out in the new format but uh i'm in the experimental phase where i'm trying different things and it works out sometimes and doesn't work out other times and I get to see what other people are doing with the format, so I'm having fun. Mm-hmm.
0: And when you say experimental phase, so do you feel like um, the decks and the types of decks you can
1: draft have really sh- shaken up? or No, not I don't think they've shaken up in a really big way. I'm still seeing a lot of the same archetypes, but it's easier or more difficult to get into those archetypes uh, depending on what they are. And I, I haven't really nailed down... Uh, exactly how those changes have manifested it's subtle um but i am trying to draft some of the archetypes that really didn't exist before like yetis (laughs) and that's had mixed success but uh but it's not a total bust so (laughs) um uh yeah uh yeah that's what i mean I, i i just i i just mean that uh there's definitely been shifts that have taken place. They're small shifts, but if you want to be drafting at the highest level that you can, then uh, it's good to be aware of what the actual changes are. Mm -hmm. So how was your draft week?
0: My draft week's been okay. I started out uh, pretty strong um, with a couple 7-win runs in the new format. And then my last couple decks have not come together quite as well as those first few. I feel like I've been time in all four of my drafts of the new format. And I know a lot of people were commenting at the beginning that it was like a Grodov's Favored meta, where you just seem to be getting three or four of them Yeah, in every yeah. draft.
1: Yeah, I experienced that. Or else I was locked into uh, factions before I should have been, and I was seeing Grodov's favorites just fly past me, and, and that was... That was unfortunate.
0: Yeah. And then my last couple time drafts didn't really have that, and so I felt like I ended up with an okay draft, except I had no real way to win or break the board stall. I felt like I ended up with like a Cambrai deck, but <laughs> no way to win the game. And, right. uh, so I think I'm going this happened to me at, actually at the beginning of set seven too, where I, I felt like I drafted powerful cards. But in the end, I just like realized that I had no real way to win the game. Um, so I think I'm going to try to focus my next couple drafts a little bit more on making sure I have more interaction and making sure I have some flyers or way to get damage through.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. I think it's easy in a new format to forget a few of the many, 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 many things that you need to keep in mind while you're assembling a deck. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's easy to forget um, to have a a concrete win condition uh, and to have a good curve of units and to to have the right ratio of of spells and attachments to units and all of those things. Uh, It's, it's easy to to leave something important out while you're juggling all of those different variables and trying to, uh, to get a handle on, on just where the power and the, where the, where the strength is in the new action pairings and all of that.
0: And then I also have a little bit of a conspiracy theory about this Gurdow's favorite thing. I was thinking about this cuz I feel like the a very similar thing happened with Cannons when we moved from set 6 to set 6.5 where all of a sudden you were seeing Cannons again like eighth or ninth pick for absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder with these probably even actually with just the original releases if they have to, have to like seed packs into the into their system because no one's played the format. And so you get, you know, these first couple days of the new draft format can just be really wonky. And it's not because the people you're drafting with have no idea, have forgotten that Kordov's favorite is a good card, but I think it's just that it's probably not people drafting. And so you're seeing these weird signals and I think it's easy to over, um, overvalue you know like you don't want to read into them too much because you don't want to think oh from now on i can just draft time and get four grudas favored because eventually you know real drafters are there's going to be enough real drafts in the system right. that you're no longer going to be able to like leverage um you know the wacky signals you're seeing in the beginning
1: yeah Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's exactly right. It'll just sort of even out. But there's this uh, there's this kind of ripple effect, like when there's an accident on the highway and then every and then for an hour afterwards, even though the accident's been cleared away, there's still a slowdown at that spot because the traffic pattern hasn't been restored to normal yet. Um, I was I was basically like leaving time open after the first pack for the first few days and it was serving me well, too, Mm -hmm. because I almost always would see a bunch of strong time cards even if i didn't see any in pack one uh, i would start seeing them in pack two but i don't feel as confident doing that now as i did but I it's still time is still a very strong faction in, in packs two and three now in uh <laughs> so it's not like leaving time open or, or or being prepared to go into time if you need to is, is a, ever going to be a bad strategy
0: yeah and I think we're going to talk about this more later, but I think also the fact that um, the draft packs continue to be a little weaker, yeah. so I s- feel like it it might st- can be a good strategy to to leave yourself open and pack t- to, and to what pack two and three are telling you because you're going to get a, a lot more powerful cards in those packs, right. All right, shall we uh, move into announcements? Yes, please. So, yeah, we're uh, talking about our Patreon here, which you can check out at patreoncom farmingeternal. Uh, and you could join our Patreon, which uh, 12 people have done who we thank every week. Those people are Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Toku, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Hammered, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Out. Uh, You know, these people contribute their hard-earned dollars to the show and really help keep the show going and, you know, show the support that motivates me to, motivates us to keep doing the show. So, we really appreciate you. And we do actually have a couple new announcements. We're setting uh, two new stretch goals uh, for the Patreon. So, right now, we're at $42 a month. Uh, (laughs) Hats on Lance is just reading (laughs) the stretch goals right now. So, so, um and so if oh, if, if we reach fifty dollars, hats and I are taking the show to Twitch for a live episode uh, where you can see the faces that our previous guest, Craig of Canada described as, and this is a direct quote, mind you, much better looking than I expected, and you'll get to hear all these bloopers like this one, which I'll probably actually leave in the show. Um, <laughs> Then at $75, and as we'll find out, as you probably have guessed, uh, I haven't confirmed this with Hats on Lamps yet, but we are excited to announce that we're going to raffle off a monthly coaching session with Hats on Lamps. Currently, though, to be honest, unverified, uh, number one eternal drafter to a lucky patron each month. Okay, we may have verified it already. At the time of writing that, it was
1: unverified. At the time of writing that, I probably was number one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm number, exactly. I'm number two now.
0: <laughs> Very possibly. Who knows? Who knows what the future when, holds? When this is released, I guaranteed number one Eternal Drafter.
2: <laughs> it's a science.
0: Anyway, so if you want to um, hear some of his insights and uh, get a chance to be entered in this exciting raffle, please join the Patreon. And so if we get $75 a month, that'll be a monthly patron, patron Patreon, a monthly reward that will raffle off to a lucky patron. So cool. And then there's also some, uh, I would say, probably more mundane uh, <laughs> benefits, too, where you get access to our show notes, where you can see all these incredible things that we have written down, as well as recording bloopers. And I promise you, there are a lot of them. So once again, thank you to all our patrons. We really appreciate all the support. Um, So let's move on to card of the week. So Hatz, what's your card of the week? Uh,
1: My card of the week is Malaise. Uh, Malaise is a fast spell. It costs two shadow, uh, and it discards six cards from the top of the player of your choice's deck. And that's what it does. And uh, I think it's a really interesting card I have faced it a lot lately. I've been running into an awful lot of, of discard decks on the ladder, and they've been very strong. They've been surprisingly strong. They're consistently good players that are using them, and uh, I guess they've figured it out. I avoided this card at the beginning of the format, and I still haven't really experimented with it that much because in a classical good drafting sense, it is not a good card. It doesn't affect the board directly, uh, it attacks your opponent's library, which has not traditionally been a very good way to win a game of draft, uh, or it, I guess you can mill yourself as well. Um, and so I, I don't think I experimented with it uh, to really assess its power level in the way that I did with some other cards. And so having faced it and having seen it be a very strong card for a lot of different reasons, I, uh, I want to talk about some of the, the ways that it is good now one of the reasons is that milling your opponent out is now actually a viable strategy taking six cards out of a 45 card deck is very strong if your goal is to empty that deck of cards and what, what, oh, yeah, sorry, please when you
0: say now do you mean in this in set seven or specifically in this new format
1: well i think this the, i was i was running into these mill decks at the end of the last format um, and I'm still running into them now. Okay. So I don't think the power of the deck has been affected that much okay. by by the switch up. And uh, I'm not sure why that's true because there's not very many dedicated mill cards in the first pack. I should also say, just in case anybody doesn't know, when I say mill, that's a term for Magic the Gathering. There was a card way back at the beginning of, uh, of magic called millstone. It was uh, it was a, it was a colorless artifact. That could take the uh, that could discard the top two cards from your opponent's deck every turn, uh, and so ever since then, attacking your opponent's deck directly has been uh, has been called mill. So that's a little the more you know moment. And now back to eternal. <laughs> what was I talking about? Um, oh yeah, how do you get into that deck? I don't know. I think if you end up in Felm, if you end up in Primal and Shadow, you might end up with a few cards that are defensive or uh, might have a little bit of a mill theme. You might have an eviscerate, which is also a, really, it's a good card anyway, but it's very strong when it mills your opponent for five. Um, and, then, and then you just pick up all the discard theme stuff that you can, and I mm-hmm. think there's a pretty good shot that you're the only person doing that. So you can get paid off uh, very, very well if you're open to drafting that deck. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe like maybe you're mainly in Shadow or you're mainly in Primal at the end of the first pack, probably mainly in Shadow, and then you just branch out into Discard when you see the cards in Pack 2.
0: Mm-hmm. So I have two questions about this. Yes. One is, even if you're going for a mill strategy, how many Malaises can you really afford
1: to play? That's a good question. Uh, I'm going to guess, because I haven't had a successful deck like this myself, but I'm but, uh, my guess, based on the strong decks that I've played against, is that you have two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the right amount. You never, like, you don't see the effect of malaise when you win against a mill deck. You, then it's sort of like, well, if that malaise had been something that could block my unit <laughs> instead, then that would have been better for them. But when they win with it, it feels very strong because it's like they were racing you, but they didn't have to race you on board. They just uh, evaporated your library while you were trying to win in the traditional way. And then it feels great. But I think the more subtle uses for it are what really are what really make it good. Um, And. I've had this happen to me a lot lately, and it's actually quite strong. If you have any Warcry in your deck or you decimate a draw strength to make the next three units that you're going to draw better, that's when a good good mill player will hit you with malaise because they'll just keep it in hand until they can actually hurt you. And so that takes away the advantage that you got from Warcry or your draw strength completely Mm because they're very likely to hit those units that you were piling up those uh those benefits on and they'll also hit you after you scouted and left a card on top of your deck so you're just not going to draw that it's also a time when they can hit you with uh, reconnaissance and just take whatever card that you put on top of your deck and i've seen good mill players do that as well mm-hmm um, but the real like power combo is Fervent Siphoner, which is the uh, two shadow one two with Exalted that gets plus one attack until the end of the turn for every card that's discarded from either your own or your opponent's decks. Um, and because Malaise is a fast spell, that can be done mid combat to make Fervent Siphoner a seven two that probably trades with something and then creates a seven two Exalted weapon. That's a legitimately strong play. So then the other use for malaise is reaching that discard threshold. And it's not called threshold in this game because it was called threshold in magic. Uh, but the discard threshold is, is when your opponent has ten cards in their void. And that makes foul produce two Banewolves instead of one. It makes Rosebloom Mandrake a 6-6 six, six Overwhelm, cost two instead of eight. And it uh, it powers up the 2-3 the Elf that's r- uh, rare. Um, it makes it a plus two. It makes it into a 4-5 instead mm-hmm. of a 2-3. Um, And that's also legitimately powerful. It's real hard to deal with a four-power like double Bane Wolf play. It's real hard. And you can do that on turn four pretty easily with a good discard deck because you malaise them once and you Sunset Priest them once and maybe there's just one more card that got discarded and that's it. You're You're casting cheap Mandrakes and Befowls. And if you build the deck right, uh, you're doing that fairly consistently, and it's so powerful that it's worth taking the risk.
0: Yeah, see, this is where I have a little trouble with... Because I've tried to drop this null deck a couple times, and what I feel like ends up happening is I end up dying with them having somewhere between 1 to 10 cards left Mm -hmm. (laughs) in their deck. And part of that is because... I feel like it's very easy to get off track with these mill decks because there's so many of these powerful cards that like want you to mill your opponent but don't want but they don't necessarily need you to deck your opponent. I feel like there's this tension where it's like am I trying to get them to zero life? Am I trying to play these like powerful cards like fervent siphoner making a putting a weapon on another unit so I can attack again? Am I trying to do that, or am I trying to get them to zero cards? I feel I th- like those are two separate decks, and I often try to make them into a, like smash them or maybe they're not two separate decks, but I often feel like my deck is those two decks smashed together, and then it does neither of them
1: particularly well. yeah, I think that's exactly right, and I think that the I think that the strong mill decks i've I've played against have figured that out and they're really just trying to do one thing really well. It's what it feels like to me is that they're not really racing to erase my whole deck. They are just enabling their strong cards and, and just sort of playing a solid game of eternal that where if, if they can, if they see that the best path to victory would be to just wait me out until I'm out of cards, then they'll shift to playing defensively. But the main goal is to make it soba Fowl and rosebloom mandrake are backbreaking because rosebloom mandrake if you cast it for two and then it gets killed and then you immortalize it and now it's a six six uh overwhelm with exalted it's like that's more than most decks can deal with Mm -hmm. and that's just part of like the commons that you have in your deck if you happen to be in those colors you know right. it's not that hard to put together that kind of combo so all of those cards kind of feed together if you're not worried about um milling your opponent completely but also you do have that option if a game stalls out because if you have dramatically more cards in your deck than your opponent does then you just you the pressure is off as far as actually winning through damage you can just mm-hmm. you can just hang out if you have to but you also have these powerful plays um, if you if you have those available. so yeah, uh, I yeah, haven't I guess... figured out how to draft this deck either. I don't know exactly what the formula is to make it really good. Uh, I just know that it can be really good, because players that I respect have destroyed me with it.
0: Yeah, because part of my problem though is, I guess I've had trouble stalling the board when I've been in these decks, because <laughs> instead of creatures that can stall the board, I have cards like Malaise, which are just like <laughs> yeah. you know which get them closer to zero cards, but don't help me stay alive. Or cards like Wretched Raven, which that's a great blocker, but you have to be attacking with that to be causing them to discard a card. And so, Or maybe maybe my problem is just playing it wrong, and once I just have a small card advantage, then I should just wait them out as compared to trying to mill them as fast as possible.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe. I think uh, you get them to you get them to ten cards in their void. That's the first big threshold, and then after that, uh, I, I think you have to just sort of figure out what your best best path to victory is. If you need to block after that a lot and just wait for uh, to get some kind of board advantage, and that's what you do. But if you have the cards to really like, if you have a calamity oracle and your deck is set up for it, then you can go for the kill that way and race them. But
0: yeah, we were talking a little bit about this offline, but you did mention that you thought that. Maybe Calamity Oracle... You know, you haven't been... You've been seeing these mill decks without Calamity Oracle.
1: Yeah. I think it's a sub-theme in some of them. Because you do need the right cards to make Calamity Oracle work. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a... I don't think it's necessary for a mill deck to be good. And I feel like the ones that I see that aren't as strong tend to have Calamity Oracle in them. And Mm -hmm. be trying to do this sort of curse synergy as well. And And then they're playing curses that may not necessarily be strong by themselves in order to mill and I, I think that some, that doesn't always work I think that's when the the mill deck sort of goes wrong is when you don't have enough synergy there but you're still playing the Eternity Oracle uh, whatever, uh, Calamity Oracle So you're uh, saying I
0: shouldn't put Electropy in my deck
1: Yeah, don't do that I've been I've had that card played against me by mill decks and boy, it doesn't do anything it's, it's just borderline a blank card but again, I, th- I would have to try to draft it a little bit to learn more about it. Um, I, I've just seen it on the ladder so much lately, and and, ha- and gotten so much respect for fervent siphoner and the other cards that are that are part of that archetype that I figured uh, it was worth talking about a little.
0: All right, so my card of the week this week is twin brood sauropod, which is uh, the five time time five four dinosaur with yeah. echo. So I think this is universally acknowledged as a pretty great card, but I, can I just, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this because I've sort of been a little bit unimpressed with this card.
1: Yeah. Can you go into that a little more before I share my thoughts?
0: Yeah, I guess, I don't know. It feels like there's just so many big units kind of around that, I mean, it's obviously this is two cards for one, Mm -hmm. but I feel like when I've had this in my deck, it's not helping you break a board stall. It's not, it's, I guess what I mean by this is, it feels like, I. the impression I get is like, or the impression that I had was people thought of this as like, like a, a, a bomb uncommon. Like, you know, it's like the mythic uncommon in time. But I feel like it's just like a good card and it's not like a win the game card.
1: I don't know. I, I'm always pretty happy to see one if I'm already in time, mm-hmm. and I and I don't think I would. I've never had more than two in a deck, but I can easily imagine playing more than two if I happen to have them. Yes, I agree. I, I would say that I don't know if it's like a just like a drop dead bomb because there are some things with four attack that can trade with it. And then it doesn't feel like it's done a whole lot, but I do think it helps break board stalls if you're willing to just throw that first one into the fray, and and trade with whatever it needs to because it clears the way a little bit for the next one. And then if you're playing time, you probably have some six fives or or, or things like that uh, when when you reach six power, and then those will have an easier time breaking through once both of your sauropods have had a have had a go at your opponent's army. So. I think in that sense they're fine at breaking board stalls because they're they're <laughs> they're not as big as the six fives, but they will trade straight up with a six five. So it's not easy for your opponent to block them most of the time, right? Like they've always got to lose something almost always.
0: Yeah, and they're probably
1: losing two things. Also, they're amazing to immortalize. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Xenon lately, and getting two of those things on one immortalize is is crazy.
0: Yes. No. I agree. that sounds. That sounds fantastic. And, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have... This isn't a great card of the week because I don't have any strong feelings on it, but I guess that's my that was my point of bringing it up is... I don't know if this is as big of a draw into time as I feel like it should be. It's not like, oh, I have a, tw- um, a twin-brood sauropod. It's time mm-hmm. to, like, get into the... You know, it's time to get into tr- time and, like, Build a time deck around this card. It's not
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't have any particular synergy for the most part with Mm -hmm. anything. It's just sort of a strong card uh that you can that you can cast for five power Mm -hmm. twice. Uh that's all it is. Like it's not going to enable anything in particular because it's not gonna say like unlike some Echo cards, it doesn't help you with sacrifice synergy because you don't want to sacrifice one of the sauropods. So it's just sort of there in the middle of your deck, no matter what you're doing. So in that sense yeah it's not a draw into time because it's not really part of an archetype but I would say that you want to have just overall strong cards yes. in in your in your deck so like I think it's a lot easier to draft a good time deck if you've already got that pot in your pile because then you don't have to worry about that spot in your curve um it's just sort of like you've got a thing to do if you don't make it to six power during a game, you've got a pretty strong play on five. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's deceptive because it doesn't dramatically win the game by itself, but it does provide a lot of value for one for one slot in your deck. So um, I would definitely feel a strong affinity for time if I already had one of these after pack one.
2: Mm-hmm
1: like i said before i would have a strong affinity for time if i didn't have a twin brood sauropod as well <laughs> i mean like i'm gonna take all of these broken grodoff's favorites in 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 pack two yeah whether or not i have a sauropod which is sort of a bonus if i have one
0: yeah no i agree i guess that's part of my thing is like that it's just like a val- it i don't know i guess this is why the my trouble with Accepting this is a great card because it's like a value card, but it's not it still doesn't feel like a, a card that helps you Win the game and like time has just so many good cards. I feel like in my time decks I'm often looking for a card that wins me the game mm-hmm. but like And I almost feel like you know like the Mandrake You know you know, like Mandrake. The Mandrake does that a little bit, almost not better. Again, they're different cards. But you know, like the Overwhelm. I feel like there's just so many cards in time that just feels like, oh wow, this is just like another good time card, as compared to wow, this is a great card.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I think it's the sort of card where it's a little hard to tell how much of an effect it's having on the game because that's that's a thing that's true for value cards in general. Is you don't you don't see like right away the effects of having card advantage. Um, it's more that you like you just sort of notice that uh, you've got a few resources a few turns later after you've after both you and your opponent have pretty much played everything out in your top decking. Yeah. Uh, so it's not uh, sauropod doesn't obviously win you the game, but I I do think that it provides so much value that if you're not like picking those things up and and saying, "Great, I'm lucky to have a sauropod." Uh, you're probably under underestimating the card a little bit.
0: Yeah, I could just be salty because I think I I lost this past week a couple times yeah. with it in while it was like in my hand, or like I would play one and then just die <laughs> before right. the second one did anything
1: yeah like it's not going to save the game if you're if you're way behind after the first like four turns yeah. um it doesn't it doesn't put enough of a body on the board i think it's actually at its best when you're sort of at parity and then you go into five power and now here comes sauropod you, you know i've got another one but you've still got to deal with this one uh and it's it just puts your opponent in a predicament because they've got to mm-hmm. deal with these two dinosaurs and that's not all the cards in your hand you get to follow that up with stuff
0: yeah yeah, no, I agree. All right, so we move on to 7-Win Run Breakdown. Yes, please. Yeah, so this is our longstanding data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners mail us their 7-Win drafts at farmingeternal at gmail.com, or you can post them to our Discord in the 7-Win channel. Uh, and you can do that in either exported decklist or any kind of Eternal Warcry link and then we take all this information from our listeners, compile it into a spreadsheet and do some data analysis on it to draw some conclusions about the format and um, so oh, sorry. And so part of the process is we thank everyone who sent in a decklist. So to start with, our new contributors this week are Alex MA, Alomba87, who is a Reddit mod as well as HNB Low Key Trickster and Swamp Hound. And then um, our veteran contributors are 400th, Abarash, A Boss, Agent Dynamo, Allison, Beard Broken, Ben Grasher, Boss K, Camomilk, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Craig of Canada, Darth Herman 2, Dubes, Eric G. Haugen, Gato Sujo, Hats on Lamp, Jedi EJ, Jed the Hammer, jo- Joey Ande Juve, Jose Carlos 2121, Jungle Spider, Cassandra, Murder of crows, another ship out on a limb, Potomaro, PKTT, Raven Dragon, Rofer, SSJ, nineteen ninety seven, Starstorm, Stevie Lundy, Sunblaze, Tarzan, Tempest Dragon, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hex worked on Sun and Zubi. So thank you all for sending in your deck lists. Um, so we don't have a lot to say because the format did change, but I'll just this is a pop quiz. This is not in the show notes, but hats if you were to guess what the two top factions so far in our 11 decks of the new format are, what would you say? I
1: would say
0: Time and Justice. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. <laughs> it is. Time and Justice are... You know, oh, I test well. <laughs> yeah. So what faction do you think is doing the poorest so far? Primal? Yeah. One Maybe of 11 that. so far has Primal in it. They did not, at least so far, in our very, very small sample size, Shake up the faction power ranking, but we'll see if that uh changes as they. Because um, I, I kind of would assume that they would have seen from set seven that certain factions were doing way better than others, and have changed the draft packs to sort of compensate for that.
1: So it doesn't look like they were trying to do that at all, though. Yes, I, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that doesn't seem to have been on their radar even as a goal. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But uh, that does lead us into our main topic: thoughts on the new format. You kind of took the lead here, so.
1: Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about exactly what changed in the format first, and uh, and I think it's I think it's three things. Uh, the first is they added a batch of new cards to the curated packs for each faction, and uh, they are, now the uh, and the second thing is that the we we're order, we we're opening packs in uh, the opposite order of what we were doing. So the first pack and the fourth pack are the curated draft packs, and the Flames of Zulta packs are packs two and three. Um, and then the third thing is that they have changed which cards have uh, are, are occurring at a boosted rate. And they've also made that, uh, that rate five times instead of three times. So there's a batch of cards that are occurring five times as often in the curated packs as other cards of that same rarity. Uh, so those are the things that have changed, and uh, I guess my first thought is uh, is what we were just talking about about the the general strength of the new cards they added to the packs, and I think the most cl- the clearest thing here is that Justice made out like a bandit. Uh, Justice got almost universally playable draft cards it got flash grenade which is a playable combat trick um it got a uh, toroid test pilot which is a classically good four drop it's a one four flyer for four with with uh, with twist two that uh, i think gains you two armor as as the amount that it gains no one armor every time you do that so gains you a little armor and uh and can turn into a flyer that that does a lot of damage in the air also blocks pretty well it's not the most powerful card in the world but it's a good like meat and potatoes card to at the four drop level in justice uh but then it also got defiance which is a real good removal spell in this format it got vanquished which is classically great and then it Mm got minotaur plate maker at rare uh which is obviously absurd in limited so Mm That's real good. Like the only dud is spell spot, is spell sorceress, um, and even that's fringe playable in some decks. If you happen to have a lot of spells or spellcraft weapons, um, you're never going to take it that high, but it's it's uh, you know it'll creep its way into the corners of some decks. Uh, it's interesting because that did not happen in any of the other factions where it just got like here's a long list of great cards. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's a little odd. Just a whole bunch of cards that are individually really good, and Justice was already one of the best factions in this format. So that's what I mean when I say that they didn't put any thought into the power level of the factions. They're just like, well, here's some Justice cards we like. They're all really good because Justice tends to be very good. Uh, let's put them all in there. What are the What are the consequences? Nothing.
0: <laughs> well, we'll We'll find out what the consequences are.
1: Yeah, yeah. The consequences are to us. Anyway, so Justice Justice did real good, um, and then. After that, uh, I think Primal actually made out the best, but it's making up for a huge deficit. So I don't think that um, that people are going to be. I don't know. I don't think that people are going to be like like if Primal is still a weak faction, people aren't getting seven win decks with it. Um, it's not going to be because of the individual cards that it got. It got Dragon Breath and Static Bolt and Slope Sergeant and. Jotun Punter and Scouting Party. Like these are all fine. They're playable cards. I guess Scouting Party is a little bit weird, but it's um, it's playable. Islands Intervention is a good card. It's just that it they're not, they don't particularly none of them particularly synergize with the decks that Primal was was good at before. None of these are great cards for, for muster. They're not great cards for discard. They're good cards for Yetis and and spell damage, but that was a really difficult um archetype to draft in the last format and it's still it it still is, even though there's a lot more good Yetis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with your assessment of Primal that they have some I mean, reasonable cards. They're I mean these boosted cards aren't that exciting. And even like a card like Dragon Breath, like if you look at all of Primal's cards, there's not like many cards you really want to put a Dragon's Breath on.
1: No, it, but there's a lot of cards with mastery in other factions that would mm-hmm. love to have a dragon breath, and I think that's, you know, that's worth that's worth being aware of. Yeah, um, the it, problem, it, of course, is that primal doesn't have a lot of mastery cards in in it, uh, and so this is it's never going to be your main color, really.
0: Right. I and that's my I guess that's my point is like this continues this long tradition of like primal having these besides for yetis which which is like a, a synergy fully supported in primal primal gets these cards where you're like oh well if i if i'm stone scar this dragon breath going done be great for my mastery deck yeah <laughs> like well uh there's a problem with that plan yeah um you
1: know yeah so- it's in the wrong color for sure but um i don't know sometimes like i i, I used to splash primal a lot uh in, in I think the like two formats ago or something, just because yes. I liked having like things like flash freeze and uh, whatever the uh, whatever the three three is that stuns a unit. Like those were good cards to splash for. Yes. and I don't think that's an that's a terrible strategy now either. There's often like linebreaker shield or something that's worth splashing primal for so once I kind of have the fi- the format figured out again I'll probably start taking fixing for primal pretty early so that I can play cards like dragon breath and 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 uh, I even static mold if I happen to get a bunch of them it's, it's yes. not a bad it's not a bad general strategy for for a format to just be able to play primal for the handful of good cards that it has
0: yeah yeah, and I'll be interested, because I know Dragon Breath is this card that has varied wildly in its uh, power level, dependent on format, mm-hmm. where in a, the renowned format, it was pretty good, and in formats with a lot of Deadly, it's yeah. really good. But I think in its original format, it wasn't great, and I guess it was set 5 with the renowned format and Dragon's Breath, and then I think in 5.5, it sort of felt like it sort of was not as strong, so there is a history of it fluctuating so i'll be interested to see if it's one of the more powerful shadow or primal cards or if it's just like a pretty good card
1: i mean i want to say that it's good because i think predator's instincts uh is a good card in this format and dragon breath is basically a more expensive predator's instinct that doesn't put your unit at risk yeah so But it also doesn't have the extra Predator's Instinct bonus in this format of uh, of like putting it on an exalted uh, creature and then doing doing chain killer attacks.
0: Yeah, it also doesn't have the uh, Predator's Instinct bonus of being in time. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a huge, huge bonus. All right. So uh, next color.
1: Uh, well, I think Shadow did pretty well. Uh, it's got it's got some good solid draft cards like Left Right Target Caller and uh, Stone Scar Outfitter. Those are good commons. Um, it got the only common that benefits from playing shifted cards, which is Muck Crawler. And I've never really liked playing Muck Crawler. Um, if you have, and also like like there's no support for shift in Flames of Zolta. So if you want a dedicated shift deck, which you really kind of want to have if you're playing Muck Crawler, it's a one one for one that becomes a three, three, if you have any shifted units, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine getting enough shifted units, even though they have put a whole bunch of shifted units on the boosted list. It's hard to imagine getting enough of them that Mark crawler would actually be playable for one thing. They left out the, the three, four, uh, with a shift of one, um, nimble conscripts. That's not back in the format. And that was one of the best shift cards. So just straight up not having that card means there's a whole batch of shift cards that you don't get to enable Muck Crawler, and it already was kind of a weak card. So anyway, enough about Muck Crawler. Uh, but um, but besides that, it got uh, Shadow got Death Ripple, which is a killer uncommon. It's a really it's a cheap removal spell that gets rid of a lot of relevant units. And then that's kind of that's kind of it because Lurking Sanguar and Stained Honor aren't aren't terrific cards for mm-hmm. limited. But just getting Death Ripple, Stone Scar Outfitter, and Left Ride Target callers is, is great. Like Outfitter is just a it's a good play on four, it's a good play on five. It's um it, it helps with mastery. It gives every all of your units plus one attack and can't like you can't get rid of the bonus if you shift it. It's uh uh I've I've always liked Outfitter even in the yeah even in a format that's not really that doesn't usually go wide where tokens aren't often that strong just having everything be able to attack a little stronger is, is pretty good so i think Outfitters is a solid card uh shadow is shadow benefited from this format in another more subtle way that i'm going to get into later but i think it made out well in the new cards that it got and then on my list of uh cards that benefited the next one is time i think time uh, did okay, it got a Tremor Shocker, which is one of my favorite limited cards. That's a 6-6 uh, for 4 time time that can be shifted on 4 or just uh, summoned straight up at 6. And uh, I think it's real good. Having that, giving, having that one unblockable turn where it does 6 damage takes a huge chunk out of your opponent's life. And uh, really just having a 6-6 six, six that can be played at 2 points in the game is what time wants to be doing because you want to you want to overwhelm them with your giant units at some point in the game and tremor shocker is really good at that and because the four slot is so weak in flames of zolta having anything relevant to do on turn four is 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 very powerful let alone like one of the cards that was that was sort of a staple of the format where it was introduced and then uh, uh, that's it. <laughs> didn't get anything else. Um, <laughs> it got Trevor Shocker, and that's very good. And none of the other cards it got are particularly relevant. Pack Beast and Phase Out are, pretty, are, are cards that you'll play if you have to. Mm-hmm. But they're not powerful cards that you're excited about ever. I mean, maybe if your deck is very aggressive, then Phase Out is an interesting card for you. But it has to be pretty aggressive if, if your big removal spell is to just take your opponent's creature out for three turns. Yeah. And then uh bringing up the rear is fire uh which I don't think did very well at all. It, it got Bren's scrying which is one of the most ridiculous I don't know what it's I think it, it's boosted like you'll see Bren's scrying five times as often as any other fire common. And <laughs> why? All it does is like the bet so Bren's scrying is a one power spell in fire that scouts and has warp. That's it. That's the entire text of the card. <laughs> so at its know, very it, best, it's you the spend one power when it's on the top of your deck, and you get to scout. That's it. That's no, it. no. It's it's opt. It's functionally opt. It's Is it? It does Gosh. not... Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh, opt. One of the greatest cards in Magic. Sure. I don't know. Well, if you it's, warp it, it's draw, card, and scout. No. You don't get to... But you're not you're not drawing a card though. You're spend- yeah, you, that's what warping is. Right, but it doesn't do anything. So you're you're warping in the card, you're casting it, but you're not drawing a card. You're literally just scouting. No, you drew you drew the card that you already drew. Sure. But the effect of Bren's scrying when it's on the top of your deck, mm-hmm. is that you spend a power and you scout and you add a spell to your void. Yes. Right? And you thin the deck a little bit. Uh, yes, it does thin your deck a little bit. That's true, by one card. Uh, I think the downside is that sometimes you have it in your hand. <laughs> and then you're, sometimes it's in your opening hand, or you don't get to cast it when it's on the top of your deck. And then you have essentially thrown away a card.
0: I will say there was a previous episode where I gave a full-throated defense of Bren Scrying and I don't currently remember any of my
1: arguments for sure, it. Sure. Okay, well, if you come up with them later, please. Uh, what, what, what's, there was a card um, in, in, the, in the sort of heavy scout format, uh, Trekker, Iceberg Trekker, something like yes. that. Like it was a 2-2 two, two with Overwhelm that got plus 2, plus 2 every time you scouted. Mm-hmm. And then I can imagine playing Brand's Crime because that card was, was broken. And and then and then so anything that said scout, if you had like two of those units in your deck was pretty powerful, although still, I would prefer to have all like any number of blurry chasers <laughs> over any number of Bren's crying. Well, well that's that not a fair <laughs> comparison. I, I would also prefer to have the two to uh, equipment, you know, for three that scouts once like almost anything really over Bren's crying. Like Brent Scrying is good if you're if you're the number of spells in your void matters and scout matters and I, I guess that's it and then it's not even not even that great but it's <laughs> like I like can imagine playing it something okay. terribly wrong.
0: Okay, we've definitely spent too much time on Brent Scrying.
1: <laughs> sure, we can talk about Brent Scrying some more. <laughs> what is who is Brent and why does he need to scry? Yeah. So so that so poorly. That's why what... does he
0: need to scry so
1: poorly? That's the question. yeah. Why why is he so bad at it? <laughs> um so so i guess like that's taking up one of the boosted slots and i'm not sure why because it doesn't have particular synergy with with the flames of zoltan i thought that was what the boosted cards were supposed to be for uh it got, sorceress oh yeah there you go yeah it's, it synergizes okay with spell strike sorceress maybe they're trying to make spells matter as a thing in this new format i don't think there's enough payoff for that and enough like cheap spells or spells with echo to make that really work well but um i haven't tried to do it maybe it's maybe it's more powerful than i think you never know
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you've got we've got basically one common that's that's just a sort of a solid playable common This flame flamefang charmer which is the 2-2 two, two that creates a 3-1 reckless uh unit it, when it infiltrates uh and that's always been fine and it's an oni so it synergizes with the all of, all of the oni stuff grandfather's axe is was pretty good in a in a um format with renown but that's not the format we're in so now it's a little bit dicier it's it's yeah. fine obviously on on mastery cards but uh it, it's certainly not as good mm-hmm. as triggering renown
0: yeah especially because we're in a format of silence
1: yeah it's that's real rough getting your grandfather's axe silence because then you spent three power for a plus one plus one um, and, then, and then you've got stuff like Ruins Guide, uh, which is obviously good with shift, but again shift isn't as strong as it was when when it was introduced. and then iceberg scattershot, which is very good with units that need to infiltrate and there's not very many of those in the format either. Um, so it's all just a little bit weird. Factory quota I, it's hard to imagine a deck that would want to play factory quota in it in limited. like that seems like strictly a constructed card. And then I haven't been mentioning any of the legendaries because obviously they're 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 all great but you're not going to see them so that's the rankings more or less for me uh, for how well the the colors made out with the new cards um, that doesn't take into account which the the cards that are boosted now and the cards that are no longer boosted that's a more complicated discussion and I'm not sure that I've worked it out entirely. And I don't think that people playing the format have worked it out entirely either. I think I'm seeing a lot of experimentation on the part of everyone. Uh, I think people are partly drafting Combray because it was strong and it continues to be strong. Uh, It's probably still the strongest faction combination. There's no reason so far why it shouldn't be. Yeah. But, But. I don't know. There's probably there's probably a lot of little subtle differences that I'm not aware okay. of yet. And as people figure out the, this this slightly different format, then um, then the the other factions will start to get played more. I don't think Primal is as bad as as our numbers so far. Yeah. Be.
0: Well. With, yeah. With eleven cards, it's such a small sample size that um, yeah, or eleven decks. You know, yeah. like
1: I will say one thing though, which I, is that I think Muster decks are a lot harder to draft now. Actually. Uh, I don't know how true that is. I think muster decks... I think it's different. I think you have to take a different approach to it now. Because you don't know whether you're going to get the muster units. So you need to draft cards that will still be good without them, without any thought to whether they're going to provide good muster activations. You have to take yes. those cards in pack one because you want them for your deck. And then you'll know going into pack two... Hey, I could actually play. I could actually activate muster a couple of times with the cards that I already have. So it's worth picking up dedicated muster units. It's always worth picking up uh, the the three five that draws two cards if you're already in primal and there's any chance of activating it. But are you gonna are you gonna take are you gonna take muster cards aggressively? You've got to have the setup for it yeah kind of sort of losing my way in my thoughts on the new format here because muster is not the most relevant thing to talk about. It sort no, of never I, was.
0: I do think that points to a larger point. <laughs> yeah, which is that because the draft order changed and what we've been used to in drafting is like sort of picking what sort of lane or synergy lane we're going into in pack one and then getting support for it in pack two. And you obviously can't do, you can't rely, you know, you sort of leave um, Flames of Zalta sort of knowing what kind of deck you kind of want to be. Are you like a curse deck? Are you a muster deck? Are you a mastery deck looking for weapons? But you're not, you're not able to do that anymore. And so I think you might have to start thinking of the Flame of Zalta packs as, your support for the synergies they're trying to push in pack one. But the weird, the tricky part of that is that you, the draft packs are so much weaker that there's a, a lot of tension there where the Flame of Zalta packs are going to continue to want to pull you into their sort of primary synergies because that seem they seem to be so much more powerful than what's happening in the draft packs. And I guess my thoughts is like you were talking about with Cambrai, it just makes generically powerful decks and faction pairings better you know so Cambrai, where it's just you play a lot of good cards and especially now they got two great four drops in the common slot to you know buff their curve a bit yeah and um, while you know even like Oni's, which was a great synergy deck that did really well um, in set seven, now they they took out a few oni's and added a bunch of yetis into the draft packs and also the yetis are are Skycrag, not rakano so you're you're drafting you're not going to go into it's i think harder to finish pack one and then go into flames of zalta being like oh i'm an oni deck and then you see all, or you know you're just gonna you're not gonna go into Flames Zalta being like, I'm an Oni deck. I'm ready to pick up four Acclaimed Artisans. Like you could when it was the other way, where it's just like, oh, in pack one, I got three Acclaimed Artisans. I'm just drafting every Oni I see.
1: Right. Yeah, you can't do it the same way. I think the... So the Flames of Zalta packs, like, we, like, like we've like we been saying, uh, are, are at a much higher power level just in general than the curated draft packs. And... So I think it's probably a pretty good strategy to not get too tied to a faction identity in the first pack. Now I think it's more important now than it. It's always a pretty good strategy to stay a little bit open, but I think with because of the power level of Flames of Zalta, um, since you knew most of your good cards were going to come from packs one and four anyway, that it made more sense to be to to get into Oni's early or even uh, some of the other synergies early uh, because you just already knew that you are that you were getting some payoffs like if you got a couple of intrepid longhorns in pack one it's like well you're probably going to have a playable combray deck no matter how bad packs two and three are because you'll mm-hmm. just get some filler and then you'll get some more good combray cards in pack four um and so I think it's just uh, smart now to be aware of that. Like even if you get a, some really good cards, to to be a little bit more open to have other other factions. This is just something that I've noticed. It's it's always true in Eternal Draft, but I think in this format especially, uh, it, to be willing to pull an audible and go into other factions in Pack Two because it's just going to benefit your deck so much. It's really sad to see good cards going by because you got locked into a faction pairing too early. And it's especially sad if it's in pack one, because you just got some random really good dragon or something. Um,
0: yeah. <clears throat> though maybe it'll actually, the fact that they switched the pack order will make it easier to be a good drafter, because it's yeah. going to be a lot easier to abandon your...
1: Yeah, it's encouraging good drafting behavior. Um, but some I've, I've had a little bit of a, uh, trouble making that adjustment um but i'm i'm gonna try to be more conscious of it going forward Mm -hmm. Uh, because i've had i've had a couple of drafts now that were that didn't need to be as weak as they were uh where i saw a lot of good cards go by because i i decided on that i was locked into a faction into factions a little bit too early so and i wasn't doing i i'd gotten to be a pretty healthy drafter in the last format and, and and now i'm back into some bad habits
0: yeah I'd like to hear your opinion on this cuz I think sort of going along with this I've noticed at least in the four drops that I've done of this new format that fixing seems to be a lot easier to come by. You know, I don't think the boosted the card the boosted card pool got bigger, but the fact that it went to 5x means that you're seeing at least I'm personally seeing a lot more seek powers, a lot more bannermen and also tokens are Are boosted, so you're 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 just going to see a lot more of them because the fact that they went from three x to five x makes it sort of functionally like they shrunk the card pool in a sense because you're just seeing them. You're going to see more of them per draft than if they were at three x.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I don't think it's a dramatic difference, but I do think that you're seeing a few more, and uh, it's enough more that this feels more like a three faction format than the last one did.
0: Yeah, I don't even want to go so far to claim that it's a three faction format, but I what I do want to say is I think it allows the flexibility for splashing and being staying a little bit more open and like feeling out because there is a chance you're going to get the fixing that allows you to play those cards. And this also might be an artifact of the fact that the format just started, and so maybe this will be less true in the future. But I've been, like I said, been seeing a lot of Seek Powers and Bannerman, and even seeing them very late. And so it's allowed me to sort of navigate pack one by not committing to anything and then sort of just drafting
1: like three packs of good cards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's uh, I think that's probably the right approach. Uh, Certainly at this point in the format, I think that's the right approach.
0: Alright, so did you have a few other um, things that you felt changed in this format?
1: Uh, I mean, I want to talk about Yetis briefly, because they did add a lot of Yetis to the format, and, um, and, and a lot of boosted commons are now Yetis, and I want to talk about the viability of that a little bit as a, as a draft archetype. Uh, I've experimented with that more than other things, because I sort of want that to be true. I always want Primal to have some viable drafting strategies... Uh, and so far, I think it's, it's, they're not great. Um, all of the real payoffs are either uncommon or rare. You've got Iceberg Chieftain, you've got, um, you've got Jotun Hurler, you've got Snow Pelting. And uh, I guess the big one is Slope Sergeant, which is a common, and it is a very strong card. But even with the boosted rarity on it, you, you're not guaranteed to see one so it's more a thing where you already have slope sergeants and then you hope to get some yetis to support them um and that might not happen either even with all of the yetis uh for one thing nobody who's playing fire is going to let a blurry chaser go by so you're not going to see that um that's the the other yetis are not as powerful as blurry chaser um so you'll probably see them but they're also not individually powerful cards so i think there's something there I've I've uh, in my experiments I've had like a couple of uh, tide collars from pack two, and what is the three five called with muster that I has? the green, green stretch empath. empath. yeah I've had like green stretch Empath. like I think there's some power there there's sort of some sort of uh like spellcraft uh, snowball spell damage yetis uh, muster combination That's a lot of, of
0: moving parts
1: things there is. <laughs> but i think they support each other if you have them in in reasonable ratios uh but i i don't know if it's a top tier deck i suspect it's not but the cards do go together when you when when the deck starts humming and 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 things start uh happening i i don't think it's something that you should ever try to force or or go into on purpose but it's a good thing to be aware of that the that all of that stuff kind of does go together uh i don't know I like to know that there's archetypes other than the main ones out there that are that are draftable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeti Griffin Rider is good in it, you know. You put you put some equipment on it or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost enthusiasm for it since I started talking about it. Even, um, but it also is true that spell damage. It, I don't think you're going to have spell damage decks more often than you did in the first in the in the last format, and they were very rare in the last format, but very powerful if they came together. But I think they're still going to be very rare. But you're also going to know, going into pack two, whether you can even go for it. Because you'll already know whether you have a Yeti Chieftain or or a Boltcaster Shaman. You'll already know that you have the payoff for that. And then you can pick up cards that benefit from spell damage and uh, the Wizened Crones with the knowledge that they'll actually be usable instead of just sort of saying, well, I'm in Skycrag, so I better pick up this two one that might not do anything. Like you had to kind of have to do in pack one, um, which made it so that it wasn't worth even trying for. So I think that I don't think uh, I don't think it'll happen any more often than it did. But you, but it's not as much of a risk, which is true of all of the synergies. It's not as much of a risk because you already have some idea whether you'll be able to support the um, the archetype that you're going for. But I think it's more true with 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 spell damage than with the others because so many of the spell damage cards were completely unusable unless you had the synergy for them
0: yeah no that's a really interesting point because I do think this is one of the few synergy decks that was in the previous format but actually benefited from the switch up yeah in pack order
1: and oni's I think is like we were saying is not a uh, the reason one of the big reasons why it's not going to be as good is because Forge Master and granite acolyte were legitimately great. Cards in that format, and they're still available, but they're not boosted anymore. And Flame Frank Charmer isn't a good replacement for that. They Flame Frank Charmer is fine, but it doesn't have the level of, of like weapon synergy and stuff that Forge Master and Granite Acolyte had. Uh, so uh, I don't. I would be surprised if Oni's was dominant the way that it was in the last format, or or, or that we still see as many seven win drafts on our yeah. spreadsheet as we did before yeah and the fact that flame fang
0: charmer is double influence i think is that's really rough
1: it is yeah it's it's not a good card if you you have to have to um summon it after turn two yeah and if you're
0: if you're hoping to play your acclaimed artisans on turn two in your deck you know
1: right there was always a little tension there like you wanted to play your uh your artisan and then but you also wanted to play your um your Shafka evangel is that the red one yes. uh y- you know it was the ordering was always a little awkward because you wanted or or more more uh, appropriately your warbrush oni because you want to play your warbrush oni and then buff everything but yeah. then you can't play your artisan on on curve there was always some tension there but it's much worse if it's flame fang charmer and it's worthless after turn 2 yeah
0: So actually, the fact that I had forgot about the Evangels for a second, I think that does make the fact, you know, it does make these um, dual influence um, cards two drops a bit better.
1: it it makes them a lot easier. Yeah, Yeah. it makes Living Example better. It makes Flame Tank Charmer better. Yeah. Um, And then I guess, let's see, here's some more random observations about the new draft format. Removal is still terrible. Conflagrate is not a boosted card, and uh, Static Bolt is great in multiples, uh, but of course that's always a little bit of a risk to to take a Static Bolt and then hope to be playing Primal, because maybe that's the only one you see. And uh,
0: Shadow, I think, still, like you, like we talked about, I mean, we talked about this more or less, but Shadow does have, uh, got a bunch of good removal. Justice mm-hmm. got a bunch of good removal.
1: Yeah, I think Justice having having more removal is is really good for it. Uh, it was already a strong faction, and uh, Defiance is uh, is particularly good because two drops are so strong in this format, and it's very common for an exalted weapon to get put on a two drop because that makes it relevant after the turn that it was first summoned, and then Defiance just takes the whole thing out for one power, and that's, that's a real strong play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's see. We were, we really already talked about all of the Grodov's favorites going yep. around. Um, so uh, I think I think the last thing is, is just that uh, that yeah the curve in the first pack is, is going to be is going to be super weird. Um, if you look at the boosted commons for each of the colors, except for Shadow, nearly all of the units are are one cost or two cost which means that your curve is probably going to look like a very strong early game, and then nothing after that after the first pack. As far as your unit base and your unit base is the most important thing in most draft decks is just having a healthy curve of units. You don't want them to be all two drops. Uh, you don't want them to be all two drops, but it's very likely. Uh, that's part of the reason why Tremor Shocker and Toroid Test Pilot are so notable is that they're strong plays on a turn other than one or two. And there's almost no support for, for a healthy curve impact in, in the curated draft packs at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, and what's tricky is I think this is going to exacerbate a problem that was already occurring in set seven in that, you know, the flame result packs have very good two drops, That yeah. is like a notable thing of this format. And so we were already getting clogged up at the two drop slot. Right. And this you know, this is only going to further it because, um, and I'd like, yeah, this is only going to further that. And, um, I'd like to give a quick shout out to, um, Twin Hex, who is not only a patron, but also posted, um, he made a eternal war cry link of all of the boosted commons and uncommons. And, um, we pinned that in our, uh, format change thoughts. And that is a really easy way to, to see what cards were, are boosted right now in both the common and uncommon slot, and you can organize it by color and stuff. And I think when you do that, you it's very easy to see, kind of what we're talking about because, like time, like you said, it's just all one and
1: two drops, and then tremor shocker. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, and it's yeah. It's true for it's true for every faction, uh, except shadow gets uh, a couple of a couple of cards sort of spread around um and yeah it's weird uh I, I it's put me in shadow more often than i was playing it actually because i am I'm, I'm a i'm a sucker for for playable units <laughs> in draft <laughs> a real sucker for playable cards and uh it's rough in all of the other in all of the other factions. I mean, all of the there there's a spread of units available. It's not like you don't see the non boosted cards, but obviously you're more likely to have a unit base made up of the boosted cards, and it's mm-hmm. going to be very skewed after the first pack. So once again, another reason to stay open after the first pack and really just pick cards that will. Potentially be powerful whatever faction that you end up in and, and and stay open stay open and open-minded going into pack two
0: all right so the final thing we wanted to do here is um, Because the draft packs did switch order and so it's we're now drafting the first pack is the draft pack So we thought we'd just give our sort of top pick so this is because now you're seeing this pack one pick one so what what's the top common of each color, and what's the top uncommon of each color that you're that sort of are pulling you into that color from the first
1: pack? So shall we start with fire? Yeah, let's start with fire. Okay, um, and the commons here, I would say I would say fire is easy. I think Blurry Chaser is the most powerful common. Yes, it is. I think f- far and away the most powerful common of these. So, uh, boosted common cards yeah it's a super versatile card uh it can uh it's it's a it's a one three for two fire with with quick draw and it twists for one which is a very uh which is a very reasonable price and scouts every time it twists uh which means that it can fix the top of your deck twice it can attack as a three, one on the turn after you play it. It's a relevant creature type. If you do have any yeti synergy, because if it's a three, one, that means you can, you can summon your four, four yeti for, uh, for, for, three. Um, and it wears weapons extremely well because it, they, they, they let it twist additional times and also attack with quick draw into larger and larger enemies. Uh, just a real, just a real great card. Uh, there's nothing even approaching it in the in the Commons list in the curated draft packs. I don't think.
0: No, I don't think so. I might take. I don't even know what I'd take next. Uh, mining team, maybe.
1: Yeah, mining team's okay. I, I think it's a low power level card that sort of smooths out the rest of your deck since you can scout on turn two or turn four, and also you know sometimes you get to warp it, and that's really nice. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, mining team is always on the list of things that I'm going to cut if I have too many units because the power level of the card by itself isn't great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So how about the uncommons? Uh, the uncommons are pretty strong in general. Uh, I, uh, I, I guess, I guess if I have to choose one, it's combustion brawler.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, what, you say yeah. that
0: the cards sort of in
1: contention are. Here's my top three. I
0: would say, yeah, it's let's combustion let's brawler, frontier bard, cover marksman, and stronghold vandal.
1: Those are all good. I'd also put ruin crawler yeti on there. It's similar to stronghold vandal. Yeah, and...
0: they just have a lot of good ones.
1: But you would, if you you would say combustion brawler is sort of your. Yeah, I would. Just as a as, as an overall, uh, just in terms of overall power level, I think combustion brawler is a really strong card. Again, it has shift, and so if you need it to attack for six damage um uh, that's unblockable it can do that and lifesteal is such a powerful thing Mm -hmm. in in limited and in this format and usually that being able to turn it off just for your opponent uh is is very strong and because you can shift combustion brawler um that you can turn off their lifesteal for for three whole turns and that's often backbreaking uh, and then it's just a 6-4 Overwhelm all by itself, uh, yeah. if it needs to be. It's just a real strong card. I have a very hard time passing cover Fire Marksman, though. I really enjoy that card a lot. It's it's versatile, and it suddenly wins games out of nowhere. Yes.
0: Yeah, actually, looking at this list makes me think that, that Fire might have the best sort of uncommon suite of, of the draft packs.
1: We'll see. Let's look at the other colors. All right, so let's go to time. I'm going to say that Tremor Shocker is my favorite, a common in time right now, uh, and we, talk, we already talked about it, so uh, I don't need to explain it again, but again, I like cards that are versatile in terms of the amount of power that you can spend on them. Uh, Tremor Shocker is a good play on four and on six. Uh, that's the main thing, but I don't think it's a slam dunk the way Blurry Chaser was. There's other strong cards here, including Living Example and Ornamental Daggers, which is very strong in this format. And, uh learned herbalist if you want to splash other factions because herbalist mm-hmm. isn't isn't the strongest way to to splash another faction i'd rather have a banner man um but it is a, a good playable card i guess i wouldn't first pick it if we're talking about first picks then i think it's tremor shocker or living example yeah. um, and then maybe ornamental daggers
0: and you would give tremor shocker the nod
1: there i would personally yes yeah i've, I've been real happy with it
0: yeah, I agree. I think especially the fact that as we've sort of harped on this episode, there's just so many two-drops, and there's so many good two-drops in in um, Flame of Zalta too, that, you know, living example, while a powerful card is kind of replaceable, and I don't know, I also think, you know, while there is also oh, a lot of two-drops, you know, the fact that there's so many big cards you know the fact that there is Groddas favored and stuff in the format makes the plus one
1: plus one feel
0: slightly less relevant than it could in other formats.
1: Uh, yeah, I've I've felt that as well. I think it's really good in Praxis where you can uh, where you can make your your champion grapplers uh, get get mastery on on their first attack and it's good with exalted cards where you get that like not only a good unit but a good weapon after that so i think it's good i i definitely think it's a very strong card uh but if you're in the sort of deck that's just making like big guys like grodov's favorite as your top end then yeah it's not like a dramatic increase to for it to be a 7-6 instead of a 6-5 yeah Okay, and then on to uncommons. Well, These are weird in time, <laughs> but I feel like Twin Brood Sauropod is the clear winner as far as like the the most powerful one. Yes, I I agree. I
0: would say though that is partially because um, these are there's a lot of weird yeah. <laughs> time uncommons. Yeah.
1: yeah, Expedition Leader is a is a boosted card, and that's a that's a difficult card to play. It's, it was difficult in the previous format
0: when shift was fully supported. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a real build around me card um that that will probably not get there. Uh Living Offering is a silence effect in a in a format full of silence effects that has to kill itself to have its effect, so I haven't been real happy with it. Uh no. it's uh it, it's it's great in a pinch if you absolutely have to silence something, but I'm not ever excited to have it. I like novice entomancer because again, it's um a card that's pretty strong on both on both turn three and five, but it's not super strong. Like it's never as strong as I want it to be, but I'll definitely take it over a lot of commons. Um but I'm excited to see Twin Brood sauropod usually. Yes. And I can't say that about any of the other uncommons on this list. Right. They're all just even the best ones are just sort of solid role players, like Adolescent Jaw, which is a nice two-drop, and also sometimes uh, gets rid of weapons. Yeah. Alright, shall we go to Justice? Yes, we shall. Let's see, Commons. Um, uh, this is a real clear one again. I think Toroid Test Pilot is far and away the best of these. Yes, games. I agree. Toroid Test Pilot is definitely the best. Um, yeah, the best common in the pack yeah uh oni samurai is uh is a solid one drop if you are if you're hoping to play a deck with really sort of uh strong one drops that have like weapons and combat tricks to back them up yeah um if you so, know
0: you're going to get a lot of
1: acclaimed artisans in the yeah. next pack yeah if you know that through your close relationship with direwolf then yes. through
0: your bren scrying
1: through your bren scrying well yeah Yeah, if only Bren's Crying could be cast as soon as you draft it (laughs) and reveal something about the next pack you'd be drafting from. If only that was what it said. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, Oni Samurai is very strong if that's what you're in the market for, um, but it's not like a great first pick. Uh, Flash Grenade is a good combat trick, but I don't think it's as good as it was uh, in the last format that it was featured in because so many of the threats you need to deal with are like large Voltroni threats. There's not as many situations where you're just sort of attacking your army into their army and then you wreck them with Flash Grenade. And there's not as many Relic Weapons. Uh, and Flash Grenade was always a nice surprise to be able to cast against those things. And uh, But it's still playable. Like, there are situations where you do attack your army into your opponent's army and wreck them with Flash Grenade. It just doesn't happen as often.
0: Yeah, but this is, like, Flash Grenade, I, f- I don't know if you agree with this,
1: it's a card that I'm hoping to pick up like 8 through 12 yeah I think that's true, but i would I actually valued it higher than that in the last format that it was in, but I think that's true about it now also right? there are more good combat tricks in this format than i I think than there were in the format when flash grenade was around, so that's another factor is you can pick up other similar effects all right oh. primal no uh uncommons uh, nope. oh uncommons we didn't do uncommons yet um so vanquish, and that's my answer. You think he, Vanquish even at 3? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it was busted at 2. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty darn good at 3. Yeah, Vanquish is real good. Um, I know it feels like it shouldn't be... like So, Downfall is a common that kills uh, things with 5 or higher power, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it costs 5, and it has Scout, and it's not considered a great card. I don't consider it a great card. Vanquish can kill... Uh, dramatically more things it can kill a powered up uh my blood wolf it can kill a slope sergeant it can kill a lot of things extremely eff- it can kill most of the drag it can kill cinder dragons it can kill eclipse dragons it can kill so many things that downfall can't take care of for less power certainly than it took to summon the unit it's super good
2: yeah
0: okay yep i'm convinced i i think also like you just mentioned the fact that there's so many four attack flyers you know yeah. kills a hell kite kills a cinder dragon
1: yeah it um, kills uh it kills you know sky horror draconis it kills um whatever that i think that that shift flyer and primal is still in the format um the uncommon one that makes other things flying oh yeah keen saddleback yeah that thing uh yeah a lot of the relevant flyers it doesn't kill marsh dragon which is uh which is important but it kills so many relevant units at such an efficient price that i would put it over defiance which is already a good removal spell uh yeah, then the I so, yeah. sorry i am so, so confused
0: how did they bring shift back and then not boost keen saddleback
1: uh, that's a good question yeah <laughs> good question what are the what are the other cards that are good here? Uh, I'm never I'm never unhappy to have a shame bearer. Yeah, I don't know if I want to first pick a shame bearer. Nope, though. no, I don't. Um, I'm not unhappy to first pick a Valkyrie Accuser, but only in an otherwise weak pack. And I've seen a lot of Mantle of Justices, so I know other people like them. But uh, it's fu- it's fun. It's real fun silencing Mantle of Justice. I'll tell you.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is mantle of justice. I think is a powerful card, or I don't know. It can do work,
1: but it's not a card you want to first pick because no. it's it's committing you to justice. It is. Yeah, you have to you have to get rid of it if justice isn't your main color because it just doesn't do anything if you're if you're only. I mean, it does something, but it's it's not a great card if you're only giving plus two plus two.
0: Mm-hmm. So is this
1: making? where's defiance is this right below vanquish for you or i would say so yeah and and i could be wrong about that one that's just my assessment of it right now but i think there's so many good two drops in the format and it's so likely that they get a weapon or something put on them that being able to just take that thing out for one power is is really strong and also it does have that stun effect that saves you if a large thing is attacking you and you're racing your opponent which happens pretty often you know They'll make one last attack because there's nothing that could directly kill it. But Defiance can take it out of combat for two turns and then, you, yeah. and then you attack back and win.
0: Yeah, so that'll be interesting because this is the first time I think we're playing with it since it was nerfed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and obviously the nerf had, had, a, had a big effect on it. There's a lot of relevant three drops too, but there's dramatically... But there's a dramatic number of two drops, relevant two drops.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. like Like... Can you imagine taking out a spike tail Kieran after it's been boosted for the turn? That's just bad, I yeah. think. No, that would be great. All right, so on to Primal. Okay. What's this situation? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, there's some good cards here, but none of them are cards that I'd be happy to first pick. Exactly zero of them. Yeah. Uh, so I would say the cards that are in contention are slope sergeant, static bolt, and dragon breath. Mm-hmm. And all of those are like the their their value varies pretty widely depending on what your deck ends up as. Especially slope sergeant, which is always fine for a six power four four, but uh, you don't want it if if you're not if you don't have the yeti synergy. It's a right. it's a really strong card if you have yeti synergy, and not not great if you don't. And static bolt is is really strong if you have several of them and not great if you have one or two. Yeah. And then Dragon Breath we already talked about, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting card with mastery, but there's not very many mastery units in Primal. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think they've done it. I think they have now made a a format where Primal's uncommons aren't just like far and above the best of the bunch. I mean there's they're good. Yeah, no, I, there's some definitely some good ones here. You know, there's Permafrost, there's Lightning Sprite, there's Avalanche Yeti, Sapphire Dragon. I think mm-hmm. those are the best of the bunch.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've I've had so much success with Skycrag uh Wivirk that I I might like it better than most of them. Although I would say hmm, I would say Lightning Sprite is my favorite out of all of these. Well, no, 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 Permafrost. Do I take it Permafrost? I think it's
0: an easy Permafrost. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah, it's an easy Permafrost.
0: I think I would go Permafrost,
1: Lightning Sprite, Skycrag Wyvark. Yeah, I think that's correct. And then uh, then Avalanche Yeti is right in there, because Avalanche Yeti is very good. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, uh, let's talk briefly about Island's Intervention, because that's a very good card in this format. It has three choices. It does uh, three damage to a flyer, and that's the important one. It gives uh, plus three toughness to your um, yetis until the end of the turn, and it counters a spell that costs three. I don't know how many spells cost three that you really want to do that with. It's great if you tag a, a death ripple with it, uh, but I, I, I'm struggling to think of anything else. Uh Vanquish vanquish it's it counters vanquish it counters all of the displays that are boosted in this format uh it's but the main one is that it does three damage to a flyer and that's relevant in uh quite a few games
0: yeah it is i mean i guess i'm just a little nervous because you know there is the draconis and the cinder dragons sure, sure. there's just bigger flyers in this format than yeah have it's been. true
1: So I'm giving I'm giving it a little bit of attention, but also it's not one of the strongest uncommons. You're not going to be first picking it Um, if you do end up in Yeti's, though. It's super good. Uh, But uh, but yeah, uh, you can say that about a lot of cards. (laughs) And I have said that about a lot of cards Um, like Icebreaker is the best card in your deck if you have a bunch of stun effects. But if you don't, it's the worst card. So it's like that. But yeah, Uh, yeah. Permafrost, Lightning Sprite. Skycrag Wivark, and then Sapphire Dragon's always a great pickup.
0: Yeah, I will say though, um, you know, your positive feelings of Wyvark or Wivark, is that based on this past what we've just been playing? I've just had a few games where it wasn't awkward, but it's not like it came there. It felt like there were fewer games where it came down, killed something, and then killed my opponent. It was like often it came down. And traded, or like we said, they they had four toughness flyers, and it came down and didn't do much.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's probably mostly anecdotal. I've just had a lot of success with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of sort of troublesome two twos and two threes, uh, and like you wouldn't want to like it's not much fun to take one of those things out than eviscerate but it is fun to take one out with a three, three flyer that then goes on to continue to attack your opponent. Yeah. And, uh, I've just found it to be versatile enough that it, um, that I like having, that I like having one around. I'm, I'm rarely unhappy to draw one, but the, of course there are situations where the next flyer that comes down is a four, four. And then the, 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 the doesn't look very good. Um, and it's a—it's definitely not good practice to just say, "Well, it's great with Immortalize," but it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's super good with Immortalize. <laughs> yeah. uh, but obviously, you don't normally get to do that. Yeah. So,
0: okay. So, my last question, and this is just because it was buffed recently. Do you think um, Elvis Swindler has become a possibly
1: playable card? I, it would really need. It would really need a, a relevant target, and I'm not sure that there are any in this format that there's you're likely to have in your deck. Unkindness, there's a, sure. a bunch. Uh Yeah, I guess unkindness is 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 relevant. Um, it's especially nice because, like, you don't want your your deck jammed up with multiple unkindnesses. I don't think, and uh, so having a a unit that tutors it is is a lot better than playing two copies of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Are there any other examples though, of a two toughness relic? Yeah, two cost relic. Um, Is there any cursed relics? Yeah, most of them are more expensive than unkindness yeah. though. There's there's uh, there's misfortune. That's four. Uh, a lot of the ones in green are four. There's. Uh, it's it's got to be two cost, right? So yeah, you can't two- even you can't even get like the two one weapon in justice. There's the thing that makes there's the thing that makes a four four the after you empower three times. That's not a great card to cast on, on turn five. Yeah, okay. Well maybe... I, don't think, I just don't think there's a lot of targets for it. Yeah. Uh, anything is possible in the uh, if, if you've got a little imagination and the cards line up in weird ways. I've I've faced an armory deck in this format, like a Justice Fire armory deck somehow that just had a lot of relic weapons. And you didn't think there were a lot of relic weapons in this format, right? But somehow there were a lot of relic weapons in it and a lot of armor buffs. That's not a supported archetype, but I faced it uh, against someone who was in the top 10 in Masters, and they they beat me handily with it. I don't know how that happened, but it's possible. So I don't want to say that Elvish Swindler is never going to be uh, a good build-around card, but I don't think there's a lot of support for it. I think most of the relics that you can get that are the right cost are... Are are not strong on their own, so it's it's a risk putting them in your deck because you might just draw them.
0: Yeah, Elvis Swindler into Vizier's uh, Vizier's Tablet for your Mill deck
1: that you've been talking about. Yeah, 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 super strong play. You're <laughs> gonna win in you're gonna win in like twenty four turns. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yeah, there's that relic that that uh that counters your opponent's next spell, um which is sort of fringe playable. I can sort of imagine tutoring that, but again, if you draw it, it's not it's not a lot of fun. So. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's actually true. The, yeah, whatever. Numbing
1: cold or Yeah, that's a that's a card that I've actually put in decks. Usually mustard decks, though. Yeah, it it turns into Yeah, that
0: makes uh, Elvis Swindler turn into like a poor man's
1: griffin. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the worst thing in the world, but again, you could draw it and then it's sort of and then it's sort of weird. Then you're having a weird day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Alright, so shall we go to shadow? Shadow.
1: Let's go to shadow. Finish strong here. I think there's arguments for a few of these cards. Okay, that's interesting. But my pet card, and I think the fuel for any good shadow draft deck is crooked alley guide.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I think Crooked Alley Guide is a super strong card. I I underestimated it when it was first introduced a couple of sets ago and then realized, you know, every deck uh, with Shadow in it wants as many of these things as it can play. Uh, Because it scouts and then it attacks for three unblockable damage and then it's a 3-3 that you only spent one power on a couple of turns ago. And it's really powerful. Uh, I can also see picking Eviscerate over it. Um, because eviscerate is one of the few ways to just outright kill a unit with no restrictions in this format, um, so I I would not fault anyone for saying no eviscerates just the top pick. Uh, you just take all of the eviscerates, but I think it's possible to get too many like expensive spells in your deck, and it's not impossible. It's not impossible to have too many. Uh, crooked alley guides. yes
0: yeah this is actually this is a interesting comparison because this is a thing ben and i harped on a lot in the previous format and set or in set six is i think everyone had eviscerate really high at first and we kept talking about how eviscerate didn't seem that good and then as we got more deck lists eviscerate was not even close to the top shadow card yeah and crooked alley guide was yeah yeah, it's, um, it's a super strong card, Crooked Alley Guide. So, and I think there were particular things about the previous format that sort of exacerbated that. So it'll be interesting to see if the fact that there's just not very good removal, like, makes Eviscerate a little bit better. Or if, you know, Crooked Alley Guide, once again, even though it doesn't look like the greatest card in the world, is actually just subtly powerful. Because yeah. I, th- I think it's also true, like, Eviscerate, while being very good, it was in just, like, regular set 7 draft 2, and it hasn't, like, overly impressed me. I still pick them, I still put them in my deck, but it's.
1: I never think it's, like, the best card in my deck. No, it's a good card, but it's very clunky, like, that's all you're doing that turn is casting Eviscerate, yeah. and, uh, and it's, it's very rarely better than a 1 for 1 in terms of card advantage. And sometimes you need to kill something with exalted, and it's ter- it's actively terrible. <laughs> uh, it's much better to be able to silence the thing with exalted than eviscerate it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's no eviscerate's never going to be a bad card, but it's not a great card. Phil Ritual is a great card um, yes. because it costs one less, which is a huge difference, and 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 it's good with Immortalize. <laughs> 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 and- uh eviscerates a very i will say that if uh, when when it comes to the mill deck eviscerate is a very disheartening thing to have happen to you if you're already being milled and then eviscerate comes and takes another five cards out of your library and kills your biggest threat that you were hoping to race with it's like well that was a terrible nail in my coffin yeah but it's not the thing that makes the deck good it's just a tool in an already in a deck that's already kind of got an engine running Mm -hmm. um but yeah, no. I, uh, I I would. I'm glad to hear you say that the that the statistics back me up on that because I'm uh, I'm always happy to see a crooked alley guide in a pack. Always super sad to see it on turn one on my opponent's side, and eviscerate is just sort of a solid role player. Um, that 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 is not exciting one way or the other. Okay, and then finally uncommons. Yeah, so let's take a look at the uncommons. Uh, I'm gonna say Death Ripple is is probably the the good one here. Yeah. Um, but there's there's there are a few strong cards here. Cabal Repeater is a very very good card, and Xenon Life Speaker is a very very good card. Mm-hmm. I think those are the main cards that are like great here. All of the others are. There's a lot of playable cards in the uncommons, but I think those are the cards that you're like, oh, I get to first pick this. Good for me.
0: Yeah. Oh, so would you put Xenon Lifespeaker up
1: into the first pickable? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, I think Xenon Lifespeaker is a is a relevant one drop uh that turns into a four four later. I think it's great. Yeah,
0: okay. That's yeah, I think it has a little bit of spike tailed Kieran. Yeah. In it, yeah. except it's a permanent buff.
1: It is. It's a permanent buff, so if it somehow goes to the void and comes back somehow, uh, I don't know if there's a card that that accomplishes that, then it gets to do the buff again. And also giving everything lifesteal is super good. Yeah. Like like there's a lot of stuff that once it's got lifesteal on it is is just an unholy terror to deal with. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and especially with exalted running around and stuff, give your exalted creatures lifesteal. Yeah
1: yeah and that's not hard to to make happen in in shadow uh so you do get some really silly things happening and and like when you see a life speaker across from the table, don't you just think, Oh God, I gotta deal with this thing. <laughs> How am I gonna deal with this thing yeah' I'm gonna have ramifications for the entire game, and there it is on turn one yeah exactly
0: yeah and and like this is one of the nice things about life speaker, and we've talked about this a lot too is just like cards that are good early and good late are just very good cards and the fact that it can stay relevant not only in getting bigger but you know making racing impossible as your opponent keeps drawing more and more life steal units yeah Um,
1: Yeah. and eternal is a game uh, where some of your games are going to be decided by how much power you draw and having cards that operate well at at different levels of power that you've managed to accumulate, um, mitigate the that risk that the the damage that flooding or or um, or being screwed uh, does to you. Like it's uh, like you just rather if since since some of your games you're not going to draw as much power as you want or you're going to draw too much. Um, and then you want cards that, that operate well, no matter what happens. Uh, Xenon Life Speaker does a great job of that.
0: Cool. Well, I think that that'll that be, I think, one that I think will surprise people as being a, a pack one, pick one-able. Oh, good. At least in contention. But anyway, I think this is a good place to end the show. Um, yeah, I think agree. this is a great, I think, overview of the format. I think there's a lot to get out of this episode, so... Thank everyone for listening. Thank you for coming on Hats. Thank you yeah. for having me. And thanks again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And thank you patrons. Yeah. And for those of you who are not a patron, you're going to miss out on some amazing perks pretty soon. But also, you could support the show by giving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Join us in our Discord. Um, we have a link in the show notes and on Raven Dragon's Reddit posts which you should all be thumbs-upping on Reddit to boost our visibility. And then don't forget to send all your 7 win deck lists that you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Bye. Bye.